Welcome to our weekly Wednesday Shir. But most importantly, the Nishmas, Rosalind Bas, Lachanev Ezra. Matzah Shabbos, very, very special time when all the gates are open back and forth. The Maila, she returns her holy Neshama. Tehei Zichren was merited to a long life, just one month short of her 102nd birthday. A devoted, and it's a game called Times again, it's a game I remember called, uh, I I don't know what it's called anymore, but you fill in the blanks. So if I said a devoted and then left a couple of dozen blanks there, maybe you'd have enough adjectives to describe this person. Some of us merit to be born in a particular country, a particular city, and grow up there, marry there, live a nice life there, and then go on, run in life. The way of man. And then there are those that understand Kafakela when they're alive. Because they're born in one place and without a Cadillac Escalade, without a horse-drawn wagon, without a ship, without a private jet, they get transported from one to another to another Finding it difficult, literally. Oh man, alive! Find it, finding it literally difficult to say, "I'm at home." I'm home. This is my home. Born. In Karachi, <clears throat> journeying from there to another to another place which they tried to call home, and he married in 
Rangoon, Burma. Not having her parents take her to the chuppah. As she was raising her siblings. Baruch Hashem merited to a son, to three daughters. Unfortunately, officially unbeknownst to her, one daughter passed away a few months ago. But there's no such thing as unbeknownst to a parent. Especially the heart of Yiddish Mama. The heart of the Yiddish Mama feels, understands, knows each and every child, their tzara, their issue, their problem, their hurts, their pain. And still hate, as we say, quietly they absorb that. And they absorb it not because they're forced to, because they want to. Because this is the kayach, this is the strength, this is the intuition HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives to a Yiddish Mama. She saw to it to put her children through and she Baruch Hashem saw fruits from that from her own children from her grandchildren and great grandchildren but as we said before there are those that have it all on a silver spoon served to them all their lives from birth to passing <sighs> although her spoon wasn't silver anybody else looking might even said that the spoon was, spoon was actually rusty but that was not the case that was not what she saw that was not what she felt She had tremendous, tremendous amunas Hashem. <coughs> and everything <coughs> you said, anything you mentioned, anything you thought of, was HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Hashem, in whatever language you would say it in, this is what it's going to be, this is what it is, this is what God's will is, this is what Hashem wants, this is how it's going to become. And the most important hanhage that a Jew has, the most important hanhage that a person in the world has, is consistency.
being consistent in your action, consistent in your words, just some would like to, some would like to express it as in a negative way in saying can't be echad bepev echad belev once on your heart once in your mouth on your tongue say one thing and think something else that's obviously the negative twist to it to the person that says no I'm not different one or the other my heart my mind my mouth the words that come out of my mouth, the words, the, the thoughts that go through my mind, and the feelings that go through my heart are all one. The fact that one is compassionate to somebody that don't particularly care for does not change that. Does not say they were false. Does not mean that they didn't mean it even. That is something that a person develops and that a person can actually prevail with and that a person can actually show through. That in English, in Yiddish, is called the Dugmachaya, in Lashon Gemara actually, Aramaic. A living example. Ironically though, although she was the matriarch of the family, she never said, live by my example. She never said, follow me, look at me, listen to me, take my advice. She didn't have to. She didn't have to because it was so genuine. It was so real. It happened automatically. Everyone and anyone that came in contact with her knew how genuine she is and was and how every word she said she meant. And I don't sit in the ladies' section during a shiva, but just from standing from the other side of a room, you hear people coming to be They didn't, they're not asking questions. How old was she? Who was she? Where did she come from? They knew exactly who she was. They knew exactly who she was. And they actually made a connection to her. And you hear those people coming in here with no blood, no relation whatsoever and said how much they loved her. never allowed anyone to see any kind of pain in her heart. And it's inevitable and it's impossible practically to say growing up and being orphaned at a young age, losing siblings, I mean obviously, usually when a person lives a Kanayi Nahara to that age, it's almost <coughs> inevitable they're going to outlive a sibling or two. But each one, as she said, she understood this is what HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted. This is the master plan. 
She never sat and said, oh no, why did this happen? Oh no, how did this happen? And whose fault was it? And who did what wrong? She did. In a, in a sense, she would sometimes tell somebody when things were going wrong, did you, or do you, or you have something heavy in your heart about somebody, or anything like that, because she had tremendous insight. You go to the, the Goinim, and you go to these Sadiqim, and you go to these Kabbalistim, and you go to her, and you get the same result. Not making her, I'm not giving her a saintly hood, because obviously Neshama comes to Maila, and they judge the Neshama, and every word spoken about the Neshama is gathered, is gathered on this world, and is taking the Maila to Bezdin Shamaila as the Neshama is being judged. And they say, Excuse me. They said this about you. Let us check. The famous story of the Baditchiva who went to the Salem on an emergency. And he took a hammer with him. He took a chassidim. And he came to a certain matseva. And he destroyed the whole tombstone. And they said, Rebbe, what happened? What is it? Why did you do that? And he said, because this Nisham is the Maila being judged. And they looked at the words on this Matseva and they said, this is what they say about you in the world. Please show that. You can't prove that to us because we don't see that here in your life. Thus giving the Nisham a very, very difficult time. So I destroyed this Matseva so these words are no longer being said, no longer in writing here. So that the Nisham could live up to whatever merits it has in the Maila. From the story we glean and we learn, obviously, that one needs to be very careful what they write on the Matseva. And there are those that want just to say everything has to have a milsa you can't make everything, everybody cry for everything. Fellow never had it, his name was Mr. Odd. All his life, needless to say, he suffered. Wherever he went, what's your name? Odd. <laughs> That's odd. Yes, I am. And he wrote his, his Savo. They should leave his Matseva blank. Should leave his tombstone blank. And they did. They buried him. They left a blank tombstone. And one day two people were walking by the, that grave in the cemetery and they looked and one says to the other one, hey, there's no name on it. And the other one said, that's odd. And so the man, as much as he wanted to get away with it, it was still glaring and letting everybody know who, she, who he was. So to give too much of a as we say in America, of a eulogy, of a, of a hespid. In case we, because we have blinders on our eyes, in case, because we were so close and related, and therefore we might 
want to glorify the words or upgrade a little bit of thought because that's the nature of the human being so to avoid that to say the simplest of simple which still is something that is beyond never look to be at odds with anybody never looked at anybody oddly but the one attribute greater than any of us that we have <clears throat> and a living lesson and a legacy to give to all of us you never heard her say Shalom, a bad word about a Baruch Hu. God is great this happened and this happened this one got married this one wasn't getting married whatever it was God is great and she believed it <coughs> she lived it every last breath said just that Therefore, to speak about such a person, we would be jeopardizing our own words. Because what is there to say? What could we say? She had a myriad of of expressions, tons and tons of expressions she would use, that she would say, that are life lessons. I actually recommend it to the children and grandchildren to sit down and to mark them down, to compile a page, a booklet, whatever it might be, a laminated page or a whole book, how much they can remember, as much as they can come up with. And to make sure every member of the family has it and reads it and knows it and understands it, no matter what language they speak. And we should be very, very soon, as she wished every one of us. And we were zeichet to hear this from her. She should have happiness, health, success, until Mashiach will come. And this was on her 100th birthday she merited to have a Sefetera written for her. It was her gift. It was written for her husband, late husband. And it was given to her for her birthday for a gift by her children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. Maybe because it was my idea, so I thought it was the best and the smartest thing and the most brilliant thing. But when the Sefetera left the house, all the grandchildren, great-grandchildren lined up on the steps, a bunch of steps going down, and the Tera was handed from child to child for each and every one of us to see it and to remember how she gave over and her legacy of Tera 
should be something that we should all be living by and remembering her forever and forever. This week's Pasha is Pasha Shemais. Many a shirim that we mention, the acronym of Shemais B'nai Yisrael Aboim, being the word Shivya, servitude. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu does not forsake us, and again the same life lesson, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is good, God is great, and therefore He does not forsake us, and within the first Pasuk, we have the same as a redemption. So we don't even look further than the very same sentence talking about our servitude, how it teaches us the merits in which we can live and survive to have the ultimate Geula redemption. But the Pasha of the Teda as all of Teda focuses on the Chinuch. And just as Ruzlim Basrach Khana as in Ezra focused everything on Chinuch, everything was focused on her children, her grandchildren, and life lessons that they should have and should live by. We see this always in Teda. Every given Parsha in Teda has that very same lesson. Pare found out that the Savior of the Jews is going to be smitten by the waters. That's what his astrologers told him. Their translation is that he would die in drowning. So Pare gave out a decree immediately. Kol Every boy that's born, should be thrown into the Nilus, into the Nile River. Let them drown. He's going to ultimately die that way, and I don't know who he is. And there's no way I could tell from an infant, so let him exterminate him before he starts. Unbeknownst to him, that would all refer the idea, the reflection that they saw was because of later, later years, a hundred and something years later, there would be a story of the Meimiriva, the waters of arguing, and because of that, Moshe Rabbeinu was punished and not allowed to go into that show. Ironically, we read this, every son should be thrown into the river, and we cringe and we hurt and we feel a pull on our hearts how horrible what a horrible disgusting decree and especially the irony he says every daughter you should let live what's the compassion mister you want to be an animal and throw little boys into the river to drown Rahman al-Islan all of a sudden you become compassionate the girl should live you don't need to tell me that you already said only the son should only the boy should be thrown into the nilus obviously you're letting the girls live 
Who asked you to say we should feel like we're giving a favor, doing you a favor, or following your decree by leaving, leaving our daughters to live? I need your ideas. <clears throat> it's not enough you're giving me this smack in the face and telling me I should throw my son into the needles. But the truth is, it was said in one breath. It was said in one breath, the second half even worse than the first. The boy should be thrown into the needles to drown. He wanted a physical death for each and every boy. Make them live. What does that mean, make them live? The second half of the decree was that they said the girls should become proper Egyptians. Give them a life. Give them a purpose, a goal, and that should be to be good Egyptian girls. Trachman spiritually annihilate their lives. Which was... magnanimously worse than Chalaben Ha'ila Yeret HaShichu. Because annihilating a Judah one of the sons spiritually is far worse than physically. And today's day and age the decrees are the same. Unfortunately, we see the youth going in horrific directions. Whereas the boys are, Rahman neglecting Yiddishkeit. Rahman al boys that are not putting on Tfilm, Chas Vashon, that are not davening with a Minyan, Chas Vashon, not keeping Shabbos, Rahman al But the girls outdo it. They don't have to put on film. But they, what they do, the way they go. And they don't have the same basics of the male, of the counterpart, the boys, the girl, the men, who sat and studied Teda and learned halachas and learned all these other things that they can apply and they can help them battle out of their horrific predicaments. Although there are many girls that are very educated, many girls that are well balanced, but when a girl is subjected to the cruelties of life, or when a girl is exposed to the other side of the lives, their tools are much less, although they are smarter. But as the Vashemta once explained to a doctor, a fast horse is worse than a slow horse, because when it goes off the right path, it goes much further, much deeper, and finds it much harder to get back.
In the Haggadah of Pesach, which Pesach we know is the holiday of Chinuch, of education, teaching the child Chomets, the prohibitions of Chomets, how much you need to refrain from this and from that, teaching a child to ask, prompting the child, and saying, tonight is Seder night, and Seder night, one of the lessons, we got it to the is to tell your son, to tell your children, <coughs> but it's not enough for me to a- tell you, you need to know that you can ask. You're allowed to ask. Not ask to be controversial, not ask to be chutzpahdik, ask with thirst, ask with a feeling, with an emotion, please teach me, please tell me, I want to know. And I know what you'll teach me, what you'll tell me, will be something for me for a life lesson for to live on forever and ever. And as a parent, you have the obligation to know the answers, and if you don't, you tell the child, I'm sorry, I don't know the answer yet, but let us either look it up together, or let us go to a Rav to ask and find out. Never do we poo-poo a child. Never do we tell a child, your question is, is off the charts, your question makes no sense, your question has no validity, your question has no hands and feet. Your question is worthless. You talk like a fool. Never do we push a child down. Rather, we give the child the benefit of the doubt. We give the child the understanding. And we give the child the strength that they need. And we give the child the love and the attention. And by sharing your life, or making part more of your life for the child than for yourself, the selflessness of a parent is what teaches the child in its own right. And in the Agadah Pesach, in the Agadah Pesach, it says, talks about throwing the Jeboys into the river, Ves Amoleinu Elo Habonim. Where was what is the amal of a person, the devotion, dedication, the hard giving over of a person? This is the bottom of the children. It says, Kol abena yile da'eret ashtichu, kol abas t'chayun. The Pasuk that's brought down in the Haggadah, that's quoted in the Teda, from the Teda, Saying, as we said before, was a decree on the sons. Doesn't mean the children are called an amal, something that we have to work on that's a trouble to us. Heda Gada had to bring a proof. There's a malenu, Elo Abanim. What does it mean, a proof? 
It's on the self-understood, it's self-explanatory. Bonim, children, and their chinuch is a concept of almost something we need to toil in order that the children and the students, as we know, the Talmidim, Kriyim, Bonim, should grow up the way they should, the way they need to be. And this obviously involves a lot of toil. You don't throw a seed on the ground and say, okay, become a tree. You need to plant it, you need to nurture it, you need to water it, you need to feed it, you need to give it sunlight, you need to give it everything that it has to have in order to be able to grow into fruition. And therefore parents and teachers need to put this tremendous, tremendous effort in education. Only then, after planting and doing and giving, only after planting and giving can we reap the fruits of our labor. And therefore, the Kalabenayidah, the Eretashikhu, is the Eretashikhu, and that's why the Balagoda says, this is the toils that we do, is for the education of our children. Now, if the Torah labels the concept of Chinuch, of education, as Omol, as a toil, then it must be the truth that that's what it is. And all those involved in the education of the child, a parent or a teacher, who each one thinks they're slightly influencing the children, and therefore it's enough one word to give out their message, They need to look in a mirror. They need to ask themselves, this is how we finish the work of Chinuch, of education. And also in these cases, one needs to really involve themselves and throw themselves in their soul, heart and soul into educating a child, into giving the child the nurturing love that they need. And when we do so, The children have the security and have the happiness and the joy and they know to go on and they can overcome even the throwing the children into the river. And we could so much so that when it came to the Yamsuf and they saw the revelation that a Shifcha and the Yam, a simple maidservant, a Jewish maidservant by the Yam, saw more than anyone ever has seen in revelation of God. What did the children say? This is our God. 
They recognize God first. These children that were born under this horrific decree, these children that spent their lives in abnegation, in pure mysterious nefesh, they're the ones that prevailed. They're the ones that came, surfaced oil to water, and were able to strengthen their Yiddishkeit. They were the first to recognize HaKadosh Baruch Hu by the Yamsuf and to point with their fa- fingers Zeh Keli V'yanveyo. Why do we need to work so hard on the Chinuch of our children? Because the Tineke Shilbeis Rabban these little children of the Shiva they are the foundation of the entire Jewish nation. And this is, if you're keeping score at home, the Gemara Baba Basra, Chaf Aleph Amr Aleph. And the Gemara says, Zachir Eisei Ha'ish L'Tev V'Yeshua Ben Gamla Shmei. Zachir Eisei. Remember him to good. His name was Yeshua Ben Gamla. Yeshua Ben Gamla rectified. Established. Sorry. That each and every nation, each and every city, there should be teachers teaching the young children. Starting from the the age of five or six. And in this merit, they merit to the Takana he has the merit to be remembered good for all the generations. Also the enemies of Judaism recognized the in a, in extent to an extent the education at this young age. And they fought against sorry, the enemies of the state who saw the value of educating the children at this age fought against it. The Soviets in Russia, the communists, the Greeks in ancient Greece where they all was attacked, the attack was that you may not teach Torah to little children. What was their complaint? They don't need to learn Torah at this small age. Teach them education, give them a field, give them a process, give them a a job fashion. (coughs) Teach them how to be an engineer, this or that. So they have Parnassa, and when they get older, they can choose. They'll learn some tale, they'll open a book. But the Jews knew that the true education needs to start at the youngest age. And therefore, we need to put in extra 
effort, which of course is always bimomin, beguf, nefesh, our money, our heart, our soul, our body, for broadening of Jewish education of Hachinech And to see to it that each and every Jewish child gets a proper Jewish education. One of Teda and Yiddish And each person needs to educate themselves within this. <coughs> how to develop, how to devote, how to dedicate. Even with another person. As the commandment says, <laughs> One needs to show and teach and educate his friend. Even if it's a hardship. One needs to go out on the limb and say, My friend, that's not the way. Come, follow me, join me, and let us change. This is Amaleno. Something that's enveloped in toil, in effort. And Dafka through that, we plant the future generations and we arrange their path to be that they can recognize God and godliness in the Geula Amitiz Vashlema Amen Kain Yodson should be very soon in our day. And therefore, when a person dedicates 100 plus years of their lives to pure education, the seeing to it, they educate their children no matter how big they got. Children became parents, children became grandparents, and there was no blinking of an eye if she felt that there was a word not necessarily in a form of reprimand, but in a word of way of educating. She never held it back. The children are now being hidden. Because after all, they were not ready to be subjected to the decree. And so Moshe Rabbeinu, who was born before nine months, was able to hide, able to be hidden in his house for a few months. He was born in the seventh month. And according to the calculations of the Egyptians, they knew he wouldn't be born for another two months. So here, being born at home, being that the uh, Egypt memorial wasn't set up yet, the hospital. And Moshe Rabbein is born. And Chazal tell us, he was born on the seventh day of Adar and he passed away on the seventh day of Adar. If you keep your score at home, the Gemara Megillah, Yud Gimelah Bez tells us, Haman Arasha, the wicked Haman, wanted to see what month the Jews could be, could be tortured in. What month can he attack the Jews? and destroy them. And it came out on Chedesh Adar, he was very happy. He made the, the 
raffle, and he came out on Chodesh Adar, this made him very happy. Because he said that's the month that Moshe Rabbeinu passed away. Unbeknownst to him, that was the same day that Moshe Rabbeinu was born. And therefore we know, Kedaya Leidash, the capital Amisa. Birth is befitting as it forgives on death. From the words of the Gemara we see that the day of his death was able to put the Gezeda of Haman, the decree of Haman, and his mistake, he did not know that Meshe Rabbeinu was born this day as well, and the day of birth forgives the day of death. Question begs to ask. It says, Toiv, Yem Amavis, Miyem Evoldi. Kehelis. And it explains, the Medrash explains why is it Yem Amavis is better, the passing is better than the day of birth of a person. It's the day the person is born. We don't know what his ultimate results are going to be, what he will grow up to be, what he will go through, what he will have, what will happen to him. Whereas when he passes, the passing of a tzaddik, we know, ah, he went in peace. This is therefore, what do we look at the birth of Moshe Rabbeinu? That it could give kapara for the day of his passing. We know the day of his passing. We knew he was a tzaddik. The day he was born, what did we know? So therefore we need to know the difference of Meish Rabbeinu and all of the tzaddikim. When he was born, it says, <coughs> They saw him and they knew he was good. If you keep his score at home, you might say to you, Bezim and Aleph. Chazal tell us, Bishash and Nailed Mesha, his smile by his When Mesha was born, the entire house filled with light. Apparently, they had a problem with Khan Edison, the Khan Edison had cut off the electric, and now the light went back on again. No, no, no. Stop being silly. The house, when we say the house filled with light, this implies the body. The house. The, the, the Shama is housed by the body of a person. And therefore, by Meshach Rabbeinu, immediately when he was born, the bias, his physical goof, was filled with light. Generally, a physical goof, a physical body, hides the holiness of the Neshama. And the tafkid of a person in his life is to peel away all these hidden parts and to reveal the neshama. And this is therefore the yisreinai, the greater extra part of yoyim ha'moves of death, the day of dying, than the day of the birth. Because then we know that the person went through his mission and accomplished what he needed to accomplish in this world. And it takes away all the hidden things that the Neguf imposed on the Neshama. Whereas by Meshach Rabbeinu, the Neshama lit up 
without any kind of restraint. Nothing was blocking it. But still in all, by Meish Rabbeinu, there's a day of his death has a plus over the day of his birth. And that is, that in the day that he was born, found all the greatnesses and the beauty of his, and the, and the <coughs> glory was in Kayach, but it still did not come into fruition. However, when he passed, we know exactly what happened during his passing. Now this is well, especially by Meshach Rabbeinu, there's a Yisrin Miyuchad, an extra thing, <coughs> a special extra thing, by his birth over the day of his death. In the beginning of that, how his Neshama, his no non-boundary Neshama, which didn't have any kind of change, this showed the greatness of his neshama. Nothing could interfere and nothing could taint it. Now we understand after why the birth of Meshach Rabbeinu was able to annihilate the decree of Haman. The day of his passing had a type of a, a point of negativity almost. It was the cessation of his de- of his life, of his physical existence in this world. And therefore, Haman came along and said, oh, now I can put a decree on the Jews and destroy them. Because their Savior is no longer with us. No longer with them. On this day. However, since he was born this day, this month as well, it's fitting of the, the birth that should forgive on the death. The day of his birth forgave and turned away the shlili of the Mavis. The day of his birth of Mesha was the insafius of his neshama that did not change in any which way, form or fashion. And therefore, the essence of Meshach Rabbeinu never died. And we find that his a, a spark or a part of his neshama is perpetual and perpetuated <coughs> each and every generation until the end of the world, until Mashiach's coming. A little bit of a living with the times, Milsa the Bidichus, as we say. Even Atlanta, Georgia is going to enjoy this one. If he's awake still. We picture the story of Moshe being put in the bassinet, set to sail, and Batya stretches her arm out to reach and to save him. Wonderful. And doesn't know what to do with the child, etc. They can't nurse, and the child won't nurse. And along came Yecheved. And standing there by the head of the baby, by the head of the bassinet, Yecheved asks Batya, 
straightforward. He looks at her and says, she says, are you vaccinated? <laughs> Don't touch that boy if you are vaccinated. Now, unfortunately, that probably would have happened if it would have been today. Pasha tells us, back to real, real Pasha. Moshe comes out and he sees another Jew, two Jews arguing, and one lifts a hand to the other, and he says to him, Why did you hit your friend? This following a day that he had seen an Egyptian torturing a Jew, and he used by pronouncing names of God, he, pronounced, he killed the Egyptian and had the earth swallow him. So nobody knew where he was. But he thought nobody knew about that. Until when he asked these two, and he confronted these two Jews fighting, and they said to him, you're going to kill us like you killed him? And Moshe got frightened and said, okay, how is it possible this story got out? And the message explains that Moshe suspected not only his own situation here, the entire nation was at, were at, at stake. There's Lashon Hara being spoken. How is it possible that the Jews will ever get out of Golis if they're talking Lashon Hara about a Jew? Ultimately, how is it found out and discovered what he did to the ministry? Because these people went and told. This gave Moshe the understanding why the Jews were actually in exile. But it were so how the Jews will never get out. These words give us a very, very strong shaking down, as we say. It's known that in the exile of Golos, the Jews were literally serving Avi the Zara. This Meshach did not see, they were serving idol worship. This Meshach Rabbeinu did not see as something holding back to redemption. What sin were the Jews doing that they were so enslaved by the nations? Lashon Hara. In other words, Lashon Hara is worse than serving of Zara even? So much so that it rectifies and justifies the length of the Golas? In the Zara the Rambam talks about what was tied to Gulas Mitzrayim? What was the greatness of the Jews? Kiyavas and Chilul of is Bashem. The fathers instilled in the children the Amuna in God. And the existence, knowing that this nation knows God, although after that there were still many years in Egypt and they returned to learn their service and to learn and all that were doing serving God, Zara. But still in all, Ubachar Hashem Yisrael and Achla. 
Tiran B'mitzvahs. HaKadosh Baruch Hu took his nation, gave them as his, inherit, as his, his heirs, and enhanced them with learning of Tehra Mitzvahs. From here we see that before Yitzhiyah Sintzayim, there was a border between the nations and their actions. And we said, Umma Shiyadas Hashem, this was a nation that knew God. Although in, in exile of Egypt it was a little bit nullified, because we know that this, we said before they were serving other idols. But then God created or recreated a new entity and chose the nation to be his own. By Martin Taylor. The choosing of Amisrael was not because of the, what they did, not because of their greatness. They went back to these things. Therefore the Jews were not actually fit for being redeemed. But this is something that we cannot understand really. It came from HaKadosh Baruch Himself. And therefore it did not, it did not disturb Him what the Jews were doing. This was not a stumbling block for sending the Gula. However, when Meshach Rabbeinu saw that Am Yisrael was saying, talking Lashon Hara, slandering one another, causing a, a feud, causing a rumbling between souls, causing a, a wedge, forging a wedge between people, this was already something that cannot be tolerated. It was hurting the nation as being one. And since the nation, its entity was that it had to be one, this was holding back the Geula. The lack of unity was forged by the servitude. It broke egos, and therefore... Since people were downtrodden, they felt pain for one another. And they gathered, and it brought them back together. And it made them fit to be chosen as the nation of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And then they can, then they can overcome and nullify any outside sources. And they become Am Oilam. Til Gula Mitis Vashtema Karev Mamish Omen Kenya Hirotsain until the ultimate redemption. And it'll be a kitzavranu Sheikh Neofar Hibasekhan. We will merit to see as we've gone through enough. Enough is enough, Daloi Golos, we've suffered enough, we're hurting enough, we went through enough pain. It's time Ribainish Shalaylam. Look at your children, look at the nation, and let us out of this Golis, lead us out of this Golis, this very Shabbos, and take us to Yerushalayim, Yerat Kodesh, Shabbos to all.